question. Tell me what you think about me. I'm Asian and a minority. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> That might be this. Uh, that might be the opening. A uh, little yes. jingle. <laughs> the A's on this test. I got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. The violin I'm playing. She made it. <laughs> Harvard waitlisted. She. <laughs> she got it. <laughs> no, she, she didn't. Got that. She. she got <laughs> Hello, Moody's. Welcome to episode nine of the Insert Mood podcast. I am your co-host, Christine. And King Choi. We are here today to talk to you about something that hits pretty close to home for us. It's something that has spanned, it's, it's a topic that's spanned our whole lives. And I think people will find this pretty relatable, but I kind of want to give some backstory. So earlier this week, I was talking to my friend, Tiffany, Shad. Shout out Tiff, if you're listening to this. Uh, she sent me this trailer for a new show on HBO Max called House of Ho. And if you all haven't seen it, you should definitely look it up. Yes, it, please do. Please do. I, our description of it, while great, uh, will not fully encapsulate what you'll experience watching this trailer. But basically, it follows along with a Vietnamese-American family in I believe Houston and they're kind of like this really successful family with a patriarch matriarch um sons daughters and kind of just all the the drama and the culture that ensues with all that and the oh, there's don't, don't forget about the auntie there's an auntie oh 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 there's an auntie in it aunt tina i believe um and yeah there, there's a lot happening in this trailer <laughs> and it's definitely worth a watch. I, I think I kind of watched it with my mouth agape. I was like, I can't believe I'm seeing a Vietnamese American family shown kind of in this reality TV show. Like, cause, cause it's like a docu soap type of thing. Um, and it kind of just got Tiff and me talking about representation like talking about representation of Asian Americans in media and specifically Vietnamese Americans and kind of who, who do we have representing Vietnamese Americans in, in the media? And, and there's not in, in general, there's just not a lot of Asian American representation. So that's kind of the conversation we want to have today is where we've been seeing representation of ourselves back then, now, and where we hope to see it in the future. I think that brings us pretty well to the mood today, which is represent. Represent. (laughs) For the API culture. (laughs) For those of you that don't know what API stands for, it is Asian Pacific Islander. The more you know. The more you know. In, if, if you can imagine the, the more you know star rainbow thing shooting through the sky, that's what's happening. I would like for that to be a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just to like really fit in with the theme. Yeah. You know? But Christine, thank you so much for bringing this topic. And I know that you sent me the trailer to House of Ho. 
premiering on HBO Max December 10th. I act like not sponsored. I act like we're going to get sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) And I watched it myself and my jaw was definitely unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) That trailer was unhinged. My God. And to go into it a little bit more about kind of why it created the feelings and reactions of surprise and horror. (laughs) At the same time, it's like, oh, great. It's a rich uh, family, Vietnamese American family that lives in Texas that has a story about coming um, up from nothing, right? Like family Mm -hmm. immigrated and is now a rich investment and banking uh, tycoon. It was so surprising for me to see through the tantalizing tidbits of this trailer the lack of awareness and then also the level of self-righteous entitlement oh god <laughs> yeah came out of the mouth of mostly the men of this family <laughs> so disappointing it's so disappointing and it is true that i do know a good amount because i am also part vietnamese myself and Christine, we're both come, have Vietnamese backgrounds. I personally know either family friends of mine who are Vietnamese, fortunately not Vietnamese family members of mine that are Trump supporters. And mm-hmm. these hoes <laughs> are Trump supporters. And I mean that in their last name. I'm not meaning that in a derogatory way. Their names are hoes. <laughs> so these hoes are legit Trump supporters. And I don't know, like part of me wants to see it just to see the train wreck. But then part of me goes like, "Ugh, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, do I want to give my viewing or my count of a view to a series like this for Asian representation that I don't think is great? But then again, on the flip side, it's great to see different stories Mm -hmm. and backgrounds Mm -hmm. and of API, Asian Pacific Islander, stories even though they might not be the ones that I want to be shown I do think that there's worth there's value I do think that there's worth and value in seeing something like that on screen so I am torn yeah and and I think that brings up the point of representation in general right whether it's you know LGBTQ representation or whether it's like BIPOC representation or female representation it's the fact is that uh, the default gaze is like a white cisgender straight American like view right is the fact like that that is the default and so there are so many types of stories that are told through that lens some of them are like really shittily told some of them are really well told but the fact is that there's such a wealth of that type of representation it almost doesn't matter right it's like oh well like that's a that's like a trashy reality show. Like that's fine because just in this particular instance that we're discussing, there is so little Asian American representation. It's like, it's almost like all of the, all of it has to hit well because it's just, it's judged in such a small sample size that, um, that that can determine whether that type of Asian American representation continues. And that's like so much pressure, right? Just not everything is going to be, profound not everything has to be profound because not all stories are like that sometimes stories are just fun and lighthearted. but yeah I I get what you're saying with that it's like 
do I want to support that? Cause there's so little, like I, <laughs> you, you want Asian Americans to be shown in a quote unquote good light. But the fact is that like families like this do exist. Like the experience runs across the spectrum. So and, I'm, I'm torn too. I get yeah, it. I think the more that we're talking about it right now, I am changing my tone. I do think that there is value and significance in showing a family that might not be holding the same moral as well as political standards that I would like to see from a Asian Pacific Islander family. But I do like the fact that it shows that Asian Americans are not just one dimensional, right? Yes, yes. I think that's the key with representation. Yeah. We just want to, we want to see the spectrum because all of it is real. Yeah. Like people have so many different experiences and those should be shown just yeah. to show the how people are. Yeah. And in showing stuff that even though I might not agree with, that also helps people understand that not all Asians are the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's like, I know, I think I want to put whatever representation that we have the best foot forward, but sometimes we do need to put our bad foot forward or even to take a few steps behind unfortunately sometimes for to remind ourselves that we are all humans I feel like oh that sounds so cliche but we are yeah (laughs) it's weird to say this because talking about representation I want to actually kind of take it back as they say (laughs) and ask you Christine about when was your first realization of your need for API representation in the media that you consumed as a kid? Or were you even aware of it? And when did you become aware of it? So for some context, not everyone listening may know this, but I actually grew up in Indiana. So in the Midwest, I I was one of me, like a handful of Asian students at a predominantly white school. And so, and and along with that, living like in a very predominantly white area, white neighborhood, et cetera. And so all around me and on media too, of course, all I experienced was things through a, a white lens. And I think when you're a kid, you don't really have the words to describe the feeling of lack of, rep- of representation or feeling different. But but I think the feeling that that kids feel is I'm different. Like, I don't know exactly how or why, but, but I am. And, and like little microaggressions come along the way that make you realize, oh, people view me differently. Like I'm, I'm foreign to them or something about me is off-putting to them. Just, just different, just different. Um, I re- and I remember an instance when Actually, it was, it was several instances. Like I remember in seventh grade having a history teacher and for whatever reason, he he would talk to us about what we had for dinner the night before. Hmm. I, I don't know why. I think it was like a conversational piece. Mm-hmm. Like go around, talk about what you had for dinner. And, and after a couple of times where I described like the Vietnamese meals that I had, it, I, I realized that it would just lead to lots of questioning. And I was like, oh, it's weird that I eat like, it's weird to these people that I eat like this. And so it kind of brought on this sense of 
shame. And, and I didn't, I just didn't, I mean, you're, you're 13, right? Like you, it's already so hard being that age. You just want to blend in, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I remember after a few instances of that, um, just, I just wanted to like not deal with that questioning, not deal with that, the othering. Um, and so I would pretend that I didn't remember what I had. Wow. I, yeah. I know I was like, I'm not stupid, but I was like, I of course remember what I had, but I was like, I don't want to deal with whatever the hell this is. Yeah. Like with you othering me. And he'd be like, really, Christine, you don't remember? And I'm like, yeah, I don't. Go to the next person. Yeah. That's so interesting. You talk about being othered and the othering. And I, a little background about myself, I'm also not born um, in the U.S. I was actually originally born in Hong Kong and my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was five. Uh, We immigrated and landed in San Francisco because my dad's family uh, was already here. And we also got sponsored um, to come over uh, via my grandparent, my grandparent, and mainly my grandfather on my dad's side. And uh, talking about consumption of media, Mm-hmm. I remember my parents always going into the sunset, especially um, especially going into Irving Street and going to Tam's video on Irving <laughs> and I believe like 20th or 21st. And Tam's video was a Laserdisc and VHS rental establishment that oh allowed gosh. you to rent out a lot of Chinese soap operas and <laughs> And all that stuff. And as a kid and becoming aware of how much I've wanted to become quote unquote American, I wanted to go to Blockbuster. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) want to go to Tam's videos. I felt like in order for myself and my family to kind of meet what white Americans expectations of Asians should become, which is like assimilation, I needed to like divert my family to the blockbuster (laughs) instead of going to Tam's videos. There was this sense of like shame and, and othering that I was doing to myself as well as to my parents, because I remember eventually I convinced them to go to blockbuster (laughs) and it became a thing. And I think as my family got more assimilated into American culture, um, they bought into the, you know, buy a 10 pack taco from Taco Bell and get a free coupon (laughs) for a free rental from Blockbuster. And I think the deal and the coupon (laughs) was the gateway (laughs) and appeal to- Gotta love it. (laughs) Yeah, appeal to our Asian sensibilities. But I just remember that just like, I didn't want to consume Asian media from- China or from Hong Kong or for yeah. other countries, I wanted to consume media from Blockbuster, which was at that time the pinnacle of, you know, home entertainment consumption in America. RIP and, Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there is a little soft spot that I still have for Blockbuster and I still bring it up every so often. So I am sheltering in place in Ashland, Oregon, and I'm only a three hour drive away from the only remaining operating blockbuster establishment in the world and it's located in bend oregon and i've thought about driving up there probably not under the 
drive of I must consume American media because <laughs> we can consume American media anywhere now. Uh, but there is something nostalgic to me and I, I don't know, I still don't know why Blockbuster is so nostalgic to me. I'm sure there are many plenty of reasons, but I don't think I've grappled with the internal turmoil and conflict that I guess I'm kind of dredging up right now. And it it's hitting it's hitting a chord and I don't know where this is gonna go, but yeah. That hits hard. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's kind of wild, right? Because thinking about our, our younger selves, we still had so much to learn and we didn't have words for like these feelings that we had. We just knew that we had these, these visceral feelings of like, I don't want to be different. It's like, I already realized that I'm different and that I'm not American enough because of the way that I look. Like, do we have to be, behave in a way that's not American, quote unquote, American too? I feel like that, that's part of it. Like, it really gets internalized in you. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, it really kind of speaks to something we've touched in a in previous podcasts of Asian and Asian American culture, like not wanting to rock the boat. Like, ugh, I just I just want to fit in. I just want to do well. I don't want to deal with being different. And, and when we were younger, it's like, I don't want to be different. I don't want to go to Tim's video. I want to go to Blockbuster. Then I'll be like everybody else. Yeah. Then, I'll, then I'll fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's a great segue kind of into the next question, which is, do you remember the first time you felt seen or represented like in an Asian American lens? Yeah. So back in 1994, there was a series on ABC called All American Girl. And it actually featured the first all Asian American family on network television. And the lead star of the series was Margaret Cho. And I remember having my little eight to nine-year-old head blown off seeing an Asian family on TV. And, but it was very wholesome. I think the series was like Asians being wholesome, right? And it also reinforced this idea of model minority, right? And I think it's also because the series on was on ABC, which is a Disney owned <laughs> channel <laughs> that, you know, everything felt very after school special. And so that also made me feel like, oh, there's already this, I didn't know it then, but I guess there's already this pressure to be a model minority uh, as a kid amongst the rules and restrictions that you had as a child being raised in an Asian immigrant family, but then also the expectation that society had placed on us through the stereotype of model minority. If you haven't heard about that, we do talk about that in a previous episode, so go check it out. And (laughs) seeing this sort of like sugar-coated Asian-American family that didn't really have a lot of conflicts and stuff like that, I was like, oh, shit. It kind of reinforced the sense of like, oh, that's what's expected of me, right? And and then because I followed that show and remember that show, Margaret Cho uh, also became a, has become a very well-known comedian And she flipped the script because she called out how the network forced her into a box. And so she started touring with her own, uh, you know, stand-up comedy 
specials and DVD and releasing DVDs. I remember, and book. I remember this first book that she released was called I'm the One That I Want. And I bought that the moment it came out. I read it. I even in high school, I remember taking excerpts of it and including it into my personal statement for uh, a lot of the colleges I was applying to because she kind of came out and said, you know, this is not representative of what Asians are. Uh, I am a loud, (laughs) inappropriate, (laughs) uh, shit-talking Korean-American woman. And I was just so inspired by that. And I just remember, and then that was where like, okay, I can give myself permission to be inappropriate. And for those of you who know me, <laughs> I definitely skirt the line there. But I remember being young from elementary school to high school, being so inspired by Margaret Cho and how she flipped the script from this model minority TV series to to this shit-talking Korean-American woman just talking shit about her family, about her weight issues, about bringing dishonor (laughs) to her family's namesake. And I was just so inspired by that. And I actually have been recently going down a path of rediscovering her old comedy specials and it's uh, brought a smile back into my heart. So I want to pitch it back to you, Christine. What were some big impressions that still kind of you think about when it comes to Asian representation that you saw as a kid or when you were growing up? That's a great question. So I have two instances that I can think of that really hit home with me for Asian American representation. And one was when I was really young. Um, I don't know if y'all ever watched the show Ghost Rider growing up oh my god yes yes tina from ghost rider yes was a vietnamese american girl who spoke english and was part of the ghost rider squad and uh for those of you who have never seen ghost rider or don't know what it is it was a show on pbs like in the early 90s so i must have been like seven like six or seven years old when that was out but i remember coming home from school and watching it or I would have it recorded and I would watch it. And it was so great because it it was about this group of kids. I feel like I remember it being kind of a diverse group. I have to go back and check. It was definitely like, a diverse group. It, it, was it definitely a, wasn't all white kids. Oh, which, I definitely had a big crush on the Latino um, member of the Ghost Rider <laughs> Hold on, let me pull up the to look it up. group. Oh man right in the 90s this is the most 90s picture i feel like what we need to do for um our our thumbnail is have us photoshopped into this picture Uh, yes i do know it was uh david lopez played by alejandro alex fernandez oh Mm. my god amazing it's inappropriate well he's grown now so i guess it's appropriate for me and also i think (laughs) they were all older than us when yes came out yes So I think the character's name is Tina. Like yeah, you said. the character's like, name is Tina. Great, got it. I was like, wait, I don't know how to recast lists. I don't work in entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember that show. It was basically this diverse group of kids in the early '90s who would solve mysteries with this ghost. Um, and something I distinctly remember is they all had these necklaces with pens attached to the 
a felt tip pen. Yes. Attached. It was attached to like a lanyard or something around their neck. And then they would always be at the ready. And I was like, just seven-year-old me desperately wanted a lanyard with a pen attached to it. I was like, I need it. I got and one. Maybe- I got one, but yes. <laughs> Wait, it's a, no, you have one attached no, to it? Not right. Not, not now, <laughs> but I remember having one because exactly that. So that was one. Tina from Ghost Rider. Loved that show. Loved her. Just it's kind of cute actually to think back as like a little Vietnamese seven year old girl in Indiana seeing representation in that type of show because, like, you know, they were writing all the time, and that was something that I've always loved to do from a young age. So it, it just really resonated with me. Um, I don't know, it's, it's it makes me feel warm and fuzzy kind of thinking about that, yeah. And this, and the second bit of representation is uh i don't did you ever watch the the show zoom on pbs no okay so zoom zoom was how do i describe it i almost want to say like a variety show for kids but it was it was a show where it was also like a diverse group of kids and they would do different activities that were submitted by viewers so they would like create recipes or they would play games or do other things that were like user submitted and there was this one kid on there. Uh, he was he was like a Hoppa kid named Kenny, and he was so cute. And I remember my sisters and I were like, "Oh my god, Kenny is so cute!" <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, and but if but if you think about it, it's really profound because, like, seeing like a seeing a cute Asian American guy in media in the '90s when like historically, Asian Asian guys are like desexualized in a lot of different contexts right so that's another piece of representation too like we didn't really know it I think like as kids we're just like oh my god we have a crush on Kenny but <laughs> like it's representation you know it, it all adds up just like little snippets here and there are you now looking up Kenny I am not looking up Kenny I'm just thinking about you talking about the desexualization of Asian men in media and I do remember um, there was a series, obviously not my time because this came out in the 70s, uh, but there was a series called Kung Fu where the lead protagonist and the hero who is supposed to be a martial arts like Shaolin monk was played by a white man. And I think the actor is still alive, David Carradine. Yeah. And even when there were roles about Asian culture, the men that were playing them they were they kind of stepped into this role of being sexy exotic sort of martial art artists but they themselves were not asian <laughs> and so they were just borrowing from what was cool from the culture and then not including the people from which the culture was founded <laughs> yep. and so there's stuff like this that i'm aware of of media and movies and tv shows of years past that when you t- kind of talk about the desexualization of asian men that really struck a chord and that came up to mind so that was that was what i was looking at <laughs> but yes i should be looking at <laughs> so <laughs> this is calling this is calling up a lot i of know this is calling now. up a lot of emotions moving into the realm of the present how do you think that Asian representation and Asian Pacific Islander representation in American media has changed? Um, what have you seen recently that has struck a chord with you in a p- 
positive or negative way. Oh, wow. Well, I have two bits for that. I've seen positive and negative. Uh, I do think throughout the past 30 years or so, whenever we've seen Asian representation in American shows in particular, uh, it's often been like the token Asian. And they oftentimes are desexualized or are shown are written to be super weird or nerdy. Nerdy is like a common one for Asian men in shows. The the racist icing on that cake is they'll often force them to have an accent for no reason, really. Because an accent is just a different way of speaking a language, right? I think that's something that people are really obsessed with people speaking in an American accent. But the fact is like, there are so many languages all over the world Mm -hmm. that when you speak a language, it's different. Like, like, like when you speak English and it's not your first language, like you'll probably, it'll probably come out of your mouth in a different way. And like, there's nothing bad about that. But for some reason, American culture has created that kind of mindset and, and therefore like they have Asians on shows or just like any number of um, types of characters on shows who are not white having an accent for comic relief. And like that, that type of stuff has added up over the years too. Like, like it leads to people being surprised when, when an Asian person can speak English perfectly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, yeah, well, I was born here. So that's why. (laughs) you know, it's a lot of othering. And and that has just been an epidemic that does continue and I think will continue. But I think luckily we're in a, we're in a place now in our timeline where people will get called out for bullshit like that. And I mm-hmm. think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but, but on the more positive side, some of the, some of the things I remember in recent years that had really good Asian representation uh, the first one I remember was Crazy Rich Asians, which came out a few years ago. I remember watching that in theaters with friends. And first of all, I was an ugly sobbing mess for most of the movie. <laughs> um, Same. I, I was also, I also read the books. Um, if you haven't read the books, I would totally recommend that series. It's it's way more extra than the than the movie even. In the movie, I remember seeing Astrid, who... In, uh, in the stories is like this beautiful, kind, extremely wealthy <laughs> Asian woman. And sh- there's a scene where she's like passionately kissing her also Asian husband. And I remember it's striking such a chord with me. And I remember after the movie saying out loud to my friends, this is the first time I've seen two sexy, beautiful, English-speaking Asian people just like have like having a passionate scene together I was like I'm in my 30s this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this and I yeah I remember that really striking chord with me and one of the people I was with was like whoa really because he was he was white and he he was like oh I've never thought about it in that vein it kind of speaks to how white representation is such a default, you know, that, that these little things uh, contribute to such a small pool of representation that we have. 
And so, you know, we just need more. We need, we need the full spectrum. Um, but I remember that really striking a chord with me. And another one was a movie that came out in recent years too. Uh, the movie Always Be My Maybe starring Ali Wong. And uh, what was the other guy's name? Do you remember? Keanu Reeves? No, not. No. Well, Keanu's in it, but the the other. Hold on. He's in a lot of things too. Oh, um, Randall Park. Randall Park. There yes. we go. Uh, Always Be My Maybe came out starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. And it was such an adorable story. I started ugly crying like five minutes into that movie. Such I, a good I movie. still haven't seen it. I should. It's so good. And yeah. it's set in San Francisco. Okay, cute. Yeah. It's such a good story. And yeah, and, and that I felt that like that was an Asian American representation of cultures and like a love story. Because because Crazy Rich Asians was awesome, but it wasn't really like an Asian American story. It was rich Asians uh, for the most part. And yeah, always be my maybe struck a chord in so many ways. What about you? What, what have you seen in current media that's kind of struck a chord with you with Asian American representation? I mean, the fact that BTS as a Korean boy band is just taking over American charts. And I've been a huge fan of K-pop for every, anyone who's known me. Um, you know, for over a decade, if not two. <laughs> and it's just been mind-blowing to see BTS blowing up all over the place. And and that in and of itself, it's not Asian American. It's not Asian American. It is Asian representation taking over American music landscape. And so I'm not a big BTS fan myself, but I do have to recognize the representation and what it's doing for our culture, you know, <laughs> speaking about represent, um, they're bringing it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, these sexy, talented Asian men coming through. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then also Blackpink being at Coachella. Um, yeah. A few Super years ago. Mainstream. Yeah, being the first Korean girl band to play Coachella. So a, another example of Asian American representation that's really struck a chord with me is seeing a uptick in queer Asian comedians. I talked about Margaret Cho, uh, you know, being a role model for me when I was growing up, but there's some queer Asian comedians on the come up that I respect and had an opportunity as a drag queen to meet and work with like Joe Kim Booster. Uh, oh, love him. Love, love him. him. He's so love funny. Him. Love him. And then also there's another comedian that's also on the come up uh, who is in the UK. And I have to look this up. Hold on. If you haven't looked up the song called Mango Chutney um, Comedy, I I very much recommend it. His name is, I apologize for fucking this up, is Mawan Wizwan. And he's a comedian that is based out of the UK. And the funny thing is, I think this is back in the old school days of YouTube uh, when people were just trying to figure things out. And Mawan was just having uh, videos of himself and his mom just shooting the shit or him trying to prank his mom. And what ended up happening is that an Indian Bollywood production company saw these videos, contacted him and with an offer to have a role in a Bollywood TV series. 
and it turns out that the offer was for his mom. <laughs> oh my god! And his mom's not an actor, and now she's she's become this huge Bollywood a- actress with what? awards and like she's That's amazing. rich SF. But she left the UK to go back to India or to go to India. I don't know her background, um, but she went to India and has become this huge thing. And she and he was still struggling. Uh, until the last few years, uh, until his comedy routine and stand-up really blew up for him. And then he finally got onto a big variety show himself in the last year. Um, and it's just like talking, and he's really candid about his experiences growing up as an Indian um, uh, kid in the UK. And then also has a really fun flair of uh, of talking about and critiquing gender um, heteronormity and all that stuff. And so it's it's really great to see Asians coming up that are not just talking about themselves being Asian. They're just existing, you know? And they're yeah. not, like, to your point, they don't have to legitimize the reasons why they can be or need to be in the room. They are somehow creating space for themselves as well as getting a fan base based upon the voices that are just in and of themselves, who they are as human beings and who they are as Asian just kind of takes a backseat to that. And I really like that. And that's what's inspiring to me. Yeah, I think that's that's an amazing point because I think the thing with representation is just like normalizing the the individual experiences that people have. Like, like of course, if you're an Asian American person, that is a part of who you are, but it's not the only thing about you that's important. I think it, it calls back to our earlier point of representation not being one dimensional. Like for so long, the representation of Asians in media is a desexualized, like accented person or like a hypersexualized Asian woman just there for like to be eye candy or whatever. It's just nice to see the range. And, you know, earlier uh, we were talking about Ali Wong in Always Be My Maybe. And if y'all haven't seen her comedy specials, they are something else. They're so good. She's, she's become wildly successful. She is someone who shows that, you know, she's like this strong, independent Asian American woman who is raunchy and hilarious and or just just shows a side that represents Asian American women as not being submissive like they're often shown to be in media which I think is amazing. My question back to you is we before we started recording we were trying to come up with topics and you did bring up Ali Wong and um, some of the sound bites that she had in her comedy special around fancy Asian versus jungle Asian. Uh, I would love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the bits that she does in her special, uh, she she talks about her own background. So she is half Chinese, half Vietnamese. And she talked about there being jungle Asians versus fancy Asians. She jokingly says that jungle Asian countries are Asian countries that host diseases and fancy Asian countries are ones that host events like the Olympics and how that kind of mindset about certain countries leads to like a competitive intra-Asian dynamic as well that has brought its way over to the United States and how even within the the 
minimized representation we get as Asian Americans, like there's still. I was like, I think it's still tinged with problematic (laughs) representations within our community. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I've, I've heard of like certain Asian American groups looking down on other Asian American groups. And it's like, Hey man, like we have so little representation altogether. Like, can we chill and work together on this? I'm thinking of this snippet that I heard years ago that really struck a negative chord with me. You know, we were talking about Asian American comedians on the come up and how amazing some of them are. Well, some of them are not so amazing. I remember years ago, uh, the, the Korean American comedian, Bobby Lee, uh, he he was on Mad TV. I'm not sure what else he was on, but I was listening to a segment where he was talking to Joe Rogan, which is already a sentence in and of itself. <laughs> and so Bobby Lee was talking to Joe Rogan during some kind of chat or interview segment. And I remember they started talking about Asian women for some reason. And Bobby Lee straight up says, Vietnamese women are the dogs of Asia. And I was like, are you kidding me? What is your problem? Who says stuff like that? Like, so I'm not saying that a majority of people even think that way, but you know, it is kind of evidence of like there being there's some there being some sort of competition or hierarchy that is really unnecessary even within the Asian community. It's it's very unfortunate because there are a lot of what I guess I would call intra community racism that I come into contact with even within my own immediate family, right? In the discussions that they have about other Asians and stuff like that. And sometimes it is a joke, uh, like Ali Wong puts it, but sometimes it is hurtful. And like you said, why can't we just all get along? But then that in and of itself also is a sign that there isn't just one type of Asian, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as bad as it sounds, I am glad that there are problematic viewpoints and representations of Asians out in the media, like in House of Ho, or in problematic conversations that family members have amongst themselves about other communities within the API space, because that reinforces the fact that we are not just one homogenous being. Yes. We do have to do the work to try to move the conversations that we're having within our own communities towards a more inclusive light. And that is a work that's going to be done, you know, for days and weeks and years to come. But I'm just really glad that there are more diverse representation of Asians out in the media in our current times period. And hey, I'm part jungle Asian and I actually... (laughs) identify more with my jungle Asian side than I do with my fancy Asian side. And again, those of you who know me know that's very true. Welcome to the jungle, folks. Welcome to the jungle. Is that a song? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe with that tune. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I so I think that is a great segue into kind of how we wanted to wrap up our conversation about representation, which is where would we like to see it in the future? What what are your visions for what you would like to see. 
I feel like I'm already seeing it to be yeah. Honest. And I think that is because of how media is just not only gated to TV and movie in the traditional sense. It's mm -hmm. in YouTube videos, it's in TikToks, yes. it's in influencers that are creating their own space and their own and allowing space for their own voice to find an audience, right? And I don't know. And, and, by no means that I'm trying to toot my own horn here, but the fact that I am a drag queen, an Asian American drag queen, that's a part of the Rice Rockettes, and we put on our first digital drag show that even reached people in Minnesota, in New Orleans, in DC, and showing other people that don't live within the Bay Area bubble because the Rice Rockettes op operates mainly in the San Francisco Bay Area parameters, the pandemic has really sort of pushed us to figure out new ways to reach people that are already within our community, but also because we're going digital, we are finding new audiences that we might not have reached before had we stayed only just an in-person show sort of an event, right, in San Francisco. Yeah. And so I am very inspired by s discovering Asian Pacific Islander uh, American voices yeah. through YouTube, through digital events, through stuff like that. And I think that there is a time now because of the pandemic that a lot of people are starving for content and for a connection to a community that they have been looking for that they haven't found in real life within their Im immediate proximity by doing so through digital means. And I'm very inspired by that. And I think having taken part in seeing the effects of that and the response that we got from our digital drag show. I do think that this is just a beginning of another uh, boom in more representation in new media that I'm really, really excited about. Yes, I love that. I think, I think now that we've been relying on digital virtual spaces more than ever, it's, it's, it's possible to reach an audience who never would have known about you otherwise. And I think that's been really key with representation in the past number of years too, is that the internet opens the eyes, opens your eyes so much more to what's out there in the world. Like, like previously, you know, if you had never seen an Asian before, like it's, it's very likely that growing up, you never encountered a person of color that you never encountered a gay person that you never encountered like like you might've grown up in a very homogenous town. And, and so the internet has really opened that up. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I completely agree with you that representation is already on its way. Like, obviously there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do on a lot of things societally, but we're really on the way. I think that I would just love more representation added to the pool so that it that it just represents all the types of people that Asian Americans can be. I think just showing that people's personalities and lifestyles run the gamut and they're all important to know about. Like it's important to see different perspectives just so that you can understand where people are coming from and we can create a more empathetic and kind world because i think that's what happens when you have representation of different groups is that you 
you're like, I, I don't experience that myself, but I've, I've seen through their lens what it's like to live in those shoes. And I think that will ultimately result in a better place for all of us. I love that. Yeah. Um, with that said, I am, you know, you have definitely closed out our insert mood sections in the past uh, with a poem or a reading of some sort. So I'm going to try to take up uh, the mantle here by doing some spoken word myself. Yes. I uh, just bought the digital version of I'm the One That I Want by Margaret Cho again. And I'm trying to find the passage that I actually included in my personal statement. So give me one minute because I've been looking into it for recording purposes. Oh, great. Found it. So this is an excerpt from Margaret Cho's I'm the One That I Want. And I believe this is one of a few quotes and excerpts that I included in my personal statement (laughs) for college. So this is a chapter, I believe, that is called... I was such an emo kid. It was... uh... Oh, same. Same. It was from a chapter called On the Mend. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. And so the excerpt is as follows. People are stupid and they will say what they say. It's not just weight either. It's everything. The challenge is learning not to give them the power to dictate how I feel about myself. Learning how to love myself from within, to make my opinion count the most, knowing that no one and nothing is going to save me except myself. These are the lessons that I have been forced to learn. That is what my life now is all about. That is why I have written this book. And oh my God, I love that. I remember being a kid being othered, <laughs> yeah. like you said, um, not only as Asian, but only as a queer kid, as an immigrant. I battled with a lot of what that excerpt just talked about, right? And making it feel like it was my fault that something happened. But I don't want to legitimize my right to live or my right to be who I am. Yeah, we should all just be allowed to exist. And I think that is a really good wrapper to what it is that we want to see in representation. That flawed or perfection, there's all such different facets of... Asian American or Asian Pacific Islander representation that we should make space for. And, you know, I'm, and as you have heard from the beginning of this episode to the end, I do think that as problematic as various things can be or as perfect as all representation can be, all forms of it should have space to exist. And I, I'm definitely going to be rereading this book <laughs> again oh. to try to see how, if and how this would resonate with how I live my life right now. Um, but yeah, I really think that that just also encapsulates everything that we just talked about, about representation and about what we want to see from ourselves and from the Asian uh, Pacific Islander representation out in media going forward. Yeah. And and something I was just thinking about, and we we've discussed this, in our previous episode where we were talking about the model minority myth is that another issue with showing any, any type of group in like one specific way is that it, it often results in like pitting that group against another one Mm -hmm. with Asian Americans. We've been put into this place. That's like a tier. It's like a tier that's always other and foreign and below white people, but it's like pitted above uh, like brown and black people and that's fucked up 
Yeah. And and it's all like distract like then that that intra group competition or anger comes up. But really what it is is it's like we all have a common <laughs> I common enemy. I guess that's the way we could put it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say enemy because we all are trying to make like a peaceful world, but like that's what's happened is that a hierarchy has been created and shoved everyone else towards the bottom who is not default white cisgender etc but started from the bottom now we're here y'all yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're going that's the yes <laughs> yes and as always we close out all of our episodes with our closing segment traveling through the medium of entertainment bam, 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 bam. <laughs> We did have sound effects in our last episode. Yes, so. we're we're moving on up, folks. Moving on up. So, Step Christine, up. pitching it over to you, what are some fun pieces of media that you are consuming, uh, be it Asian or not? Oh, my God. You're going to laugh at oh, these. Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to start off with the one that you already do know about. So, I... I've been kind of sick over the past couple weeks. And don't worry, folks, it's not COVID. I get tested regularly, but I think it's just like a nasty cold slash terrible allergies that have taken hold of my body. And um, Did you just say body? Body. Okay. <laughs> gotta, make, gotta make a cold fun, you know? Um, and uh, <laughs> sinus infection, but make it sexy. <laughs> sinus infection, but make it sexy. <laughs> Um, so one of the shows my sister introduced to me is a show called Cutthroat Kitchen. If any of you have heard of it, uh, it's hosted by Alton Brown, who used to host a show on the Food Network called Good Eats. If you don't know that show, he basically was like this very, he, he approached food from a scientific method, like very straightforward and like kind of goofy and nerdy and mm-hmm. he would cook a lot of different things. Um, under like through the lens of science, but with Cutthroat Kitchen, the premise of the show, <laughs> I I describe the show to people as having like the equal and opposite energy of a show like Great British Bake Off because it's a competition show, but British Bake Off is like gentle British TV. They're so kind; they like they literally will help each other with their baking. But in Cutthroat Kitchen, it's a show where there's four chefs three rounds. They all start with $25,000 a piece and they are encouraged to purchase sabotages throughout the show and screw up other chefs' cooking experiences. And each round, one chef gets kicked off. And it's kind of like strategic cooking. And at the end of each round, when a judge comes by and looks at their food, the judge has no idea how each judge was sabotaged. And I don't know. I don't know. I just... I'm obsessed with the show and I've been watching it pretty much every single day for like the past couple of weeks. My roommate is like, you're really into this show. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just find it very relaxing to have on in the background. That sounds very, very nerve wracking to me, especially <laughs> the sabotage. So you definitely take solace in seeing somebody else get ruined. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from this conversation. I enjoy Great British Bake Off as well, but it's like, just a different mood of a show. I I really enjoy having Cutthroat Kitchen on. I feel like it's just really nice. I don't know if it's like Schadenfreude or what, but I just, 
really enjoy seeing someone else have it go through chaos. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Now we got it. <laughs> I and every time they introduce a new sabotage, I'm just sitting there like, oh my god, I can't believe they did. This. I'm really into the show. So that's number one. And the second thing I actually got introduced to last night. So one of the things I've been trying to do is like organize my closet and call a lot of the items that I have. Cause I do love fashion, but I have definitely, I, I feel like I'm just always trying to get things out so that I have a more manageable wardrobe. My sister introduced me to Can't this. Relate. Can't relate. Can't <laughs> relate. I just showed Christine the background of the room I'm in. I'm literally sitting in suitcases and suitcases of clothes. She's got clothes, y'all. But go on. The other piece of entertainment that I've really been enjoying is a woman on Instagram called The Folding Lady. And it's a whole Instagram account teaching you how to fold clothes in a super neat manner. King literally just covered the screen and was like, I gotta go. King Choi has left the chat. King Choi has left the chat, but it's so great. Um, I spent a couple of hours last night reorganizing my sock and underwear drawer. So I've folded everything in there. The The concept of of the folding lady is that you fold everything into like a neat little packet. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to show you a packet. <laughs> I don't know if I need to see this. You are sounding more and more like a psychopath now. It's like, I want to see sabotage. I I, I actually take comfort in seeing sa- sabotage. And then you're also like, I'm talking about how you are now exhibiting psychotic tendencies. <laughs> Of wanting and taking solace and seeing other people get sabotaged, as well as now folding your socks and underwear into neat packets. Oh, she's a murderer in the making, y'all. You've heard it here first. Oh my God. This is going to turn into a serial podcast. I I like organization because I feel, well, I feel like both of these things touch on who I am as a person, which is I am very chaotic internally, but I do, but I crave structure. So- it's like a constant battle between both. <laughs> okay, I'm going to show you a sock packet. Oh, no. These are it's- words I never thought would be said to me or shown to me. <laughs> okay, so this is a pair of calf-length athletic socks. Look how neat that is. <laughs> Sarah Koenig, it's all yours, please. <laughs> it's so satisfying because now my... Now my- My sock drawer is like, it's like a file folder. I just like take things neatly out. And then here is an example of a smaller sock packet. (laughs) What was the last thing I remember seeing before I died? (laughs) Christine showing me sock packets. (laughs) Well, you know what? We talk about representation and you know what? I'm not with you on that, but I give you the right to show me your sock packets. (laughs) Yeah. I've done it with my sports bras. I've done it with, yeah, it's very, very organized. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> King is super alarmed and wants to get off this call immediately. You're very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> In a way I never thought I would. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's great. 
I don't know where to move on from there. <laughs> so the entertainment you've been consuming, has it been chaotic I mean, it's at just all? This. It's just what you just showed me. I just need a show where someone just shows me packets of their folded <laughs> socks, <laughs> underwear. It's um, very satisfying. I have been going down a K-pop black hole on YouTube. And when I say I have, this just started again last night because I came to realize through a video that BOA, for those of you that don't know BOA, it's spelled B-O-A. It's not, it's not Bank of America. Oh my God. <laughs> it is Beat of Angel. Uh, <laughs> that is what her name stood for. And BOA is a Korean music artist uh, that also made it big in Japan. And she is celebrating 20 years in the music industry. And there was, oh a, retro- there was a retrospective on YouTube. And she also released a new song uh, for the title track of her new album called Better. And I'm still going to keep this record. Obviously, we're not going to play the whole song because of copyright reasons. But Christine, I'm going to pull up the share screen of this to share it with you. Yes. Just so you can share in my excitement. Oh, my God. That was so good. I what the hell? have not been this obsessed with a K-pop song in a very long time. And the it's visuals so good. for the video, it's everything. I, I feel like the, the visuals are like so much more mature than what I see. Because a lot of K-pop girl groups, it just feels really, it's super fun, but it's definitely more on like the kind of juvenile side. Oh yeah. It's like, let's put them in a pastel colored room with some props and just have them dance around it. Boa, 30. Oh, I loved it. She, yeah, it's called Better. I'm I'm game for this. And I also remember Boa trying to break into the US. Um, and that was another Asian representation moment. I actually got to meet her at San no. Francisco. Yeah, I met Boa at San Francisco Pride. Uh, years ago when she was oh God, uh, still it. trying to break into the U.S. market. And also she had a movie with, what's the guy from, who's the guy from Dancing with the Stars? Wait, uh, yes. Hoff, Hoff, what's his last name? Like, um, the last name Derek, is Hoff. Derek Hoff. Derek Hoff and Boa had a Hollywood movie that was like a Step Up meets Romeo and Juliet. I forgot I remember what the movie that. was called. So, I remember that. Anyways, that that has been the media consumption I've been having within the last 36 hours. And it's mainly just this video. (laughs) (laughs) Just on repeat. The choreography, the styling, all outfits. And you know me, I'm usually just all into all black outfits, but I'm, I'm going to start fucking with some color. Maybe start with beige, which is what I've been doing. (laughs) Dark green. (laughs) Navy blue. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay. So in the video, I loved that turtleneck she was wearing were basically there was nothing it was like all of the shirt was cut off it was basically just like the neck and the sleeve part. it was a decorative turtleneck accessory with long yes. sleeves i That's loved pretty it pretty much what that was and with that said i think that that is it for this episode of insert mood where our mood was represent we had so much fun talking about representation with you all today hope that spurred some thoughts within you all about 
what you've been seeing to represent yourself in the media, what you've been seeing to represent others out there. I don't know. Now that we've been talking about this for a little while, I, I am excited to watch an episode of House of Ho. Yeah. <laughs> And also thank you for allowing us two Asian Pacific Islander Americans into your ear and allowing us to speak our perspectives and following us on this journey on this podcast is much appreciated. And so thank you for making space for our representation to be heard. We love you so much. See you in the next one. See ya. Bye. Bye, Moody's.